This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Brothers and sisters in Christ and fellow Americans, let's hear God's word from Luke chapter 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. We pray. Lord Jesus, you always spoke the word of God with authority. We ask, Lord, that we could listen to your authority today, that you would let us see so clearly the beautiful gifts you give us, both in your kingdom and in the earthly kingdoms. Amen. Dear friends, 4th of July weekend, what a perfect time for Christians to take a serious biblical look at the relationship between our God and our nation, between the two kingdoms in which we live, the earthly kingdom and the spiritual kingdom, and to do so without all the fireworks that often accompany this topic. See, one of the problems is that so often we fall into one of two extremes when it comes to talking about God and country. One extreme is to make a complete mishmash of the whole works. You know, you've seen those bumper stickers, God, guns, and guts make America great. Not that I'm opposed to legal gun ownership, but That's a strange new holy trinity, yes? Or the group of Roman Catholic bishops who told the government that government-sponsored affordable health care is a God-given human right? Well, I kind of like the idea politically of Medicare for all, but... I don't know where they got that God-given human right. Is that a new 11th commandment that we've all missed out on? And then, of course, the other extreme is to make God and government adversaries. And again and again, we'll hear religious leaders criticizing our government and even speaking out against our governor on moral grounds, on topics ranging from gay marriage to war and weapons, from poverty or climate change to prayer in public schools. 
God versus government. So how refreshing when we hear Jesus speak so clearly and shine a light for us on the fact that we live in two kingdoms. Give to God what is God's, or excuse me, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You realize that when this encounter took place, these spies who were sent to Jesus with this question about paying taxes, they really were looking for some fireworks from Jesus. They were. Luke tells us that they were spies who hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so they they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. They were hoping that Jesus would be a rebel. That Jesus would say, those Romans, throw those Romans out. Don't pay taxes to those pagans. And instead, he said, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. And they replied, Caesar's. Now that Roman coin, the denarius, was more than just a coin. It was kind of a piece of Roman propaganda. On the front side of it was the image of Emperor Tiberius Caesar, a man who historians tell us led a a really kind of twisted and sad private life. He was the son of the great Caesar Augustus. And at one point in his life, his father, for political reasons, asked him to divorce the wife he loved and marry another woman who would uh, gain greater political advantage. He did so, and both he and his ex-wife remarried. He unhappily and she happily And historians tell us that as a result of her happiness, Tiberius had her second husband first jailed, then starved to death. And his image was there on the coin with this inscription. It said, Tiberius Caesar, wonderful son of the god Augustus. Tiberius, the son of God. Now, the spies who were sent to Jesus that day were sent by the high priests and teachers of the law. And they would have actually taught that handling such a coin was idolatry and bringing it into the temple where this exchange took place was even desecrating the temple. You notice how clever Jesus is? He exposes their hypocrisy. They're the ones who produced the coin. He didn't even have one. And then he teaches so simply about the proper division of the two kingdoms. You and I, as believers, are citizens of God's kingdom and Caesar's kingdom. A spiritual kingdom and an earthly kingdom, God and country. And any of you who've tried to multitask, you know how hard that is. It is not easy to be citizens of two different kingdoms. And so we need to really think about this and understand how to divide the two. 
And in the word, Jesus, instead of unnecessary fireworks, simply shines the light on the purpose of the two kingdoms. In fact, frankly, over the centuries, most of the confusion about this has been because believers get confused about the God-given purpose of government. Just about a month ago, Pastor Ben led us through Romans chapter 13, where Paul tells us, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. And then when Paul writes to his co-pastor Timothy, he explains exactly what that good is. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we also learn the government bears the sword. It uses force, it uses laws to keep law and order, to protect the citizens and the nation, to look out for the general health and welfare of everyone in the kingdom. And as a result, the members of God's kingdom can peacefully do God's work and proclaim the Lord's saving gospel. And just think for a minute, all the good that the government had done for Jesus and his apostles? The Romans built an insanely elaborate and beautiful system of roads that allowed the apostles and Jesus himself to travel freely proclaiming the saving truth. 400 years before the Romans, it was a Greek general, Alexander the Great, who had given the world, or the then known world, a universal language, Greek, which we used, our apostles used in those days to write the Bible and communicate the gospel. The apostle Paul was saved from a Jewish lynch mob by Roman soldiers. He was assured of a fair trial by the Roman government. And you realize the government does us good in all the same ways. Peace and security. But don't stop there. We have clean water. We have good sewers. We have radio and television. If you're watching us streaming today, the Federal Communications Commission guarantees that the internet will be free of censorship. It guarantees we're free to proclaim the gospel on the internet. And most wonderfully, our government guarantees us the freedom to preach and worship our Savior and to bring more and more people to do the same. But sometimes, especially here in America, we as believers would wish our government would do just a little more that it would in some way enforce faith or encourage Christian lifestyles from all its citizens. And to do that, Christians have 
stuck their nose into government and criticized government for everything from, like I said, making gay marriage legal or having liquor stores open on Sundays. But you realize Christians criticizing the government for failing to do those things Christians criticizing the government for the the moral condition of our nation is a little bit like an electrician criticizing the plumber because the wiring is screwed up. It's not their job. It's the work of God's kingdom. It's your job and mine to improve the moral condition of our fellow citizens one citizen at a time by proclaiming the life-changing forgiveness of Christ. The Lord himself says our government can only improve the civic good with the power of the sword. Do this or else. And at the same time, we have to look, shine a light, on the God-given form of government. And again, this is one of these things where As Americans, we get confused about this because we have an undying, almost religious devotion to democracy. But you realize the Lord in his word never advocates a specific form of government? Jesus said, give to Caesar. It was an emperor with an empire. He said, pray for kings and all those in authority. Believers in the Bible have submitted to Babylonian kings and Roman appointees. I always think it's fascinating that when Jesus was on trial before the high priest Caiaphas, he never chose to point out to Caiaphas that he was not the legitimate high priest according to God's Old Testament law. He was actually put into power by the Romans. He wasn't a direct descendant of the previous high priest. He actually married into the family. He was a son-in-law. And yet Jesus submitted. And even in the working of the early Christian church that's recorded in the Bible, They didn't practice democracy. They simply listened to God's word and reached a consensus. Or, for example, when they wanted to to choose a new apostle who would take the place of Judas, they all agreed on a list of qualifications. They found two people who had those qualifications. They prayed about it and they drew a name out of a hat. And when the Apostle Paul sent Titus to organize the congregations in Crete, he gave him a list of qualifications and he said, appoint people as the elders in every town. We love democracy so much. It's such a beautiful gift. But let's be careful we don't go too far and say it's the only way to rule or the only way to lead. But that leads us 
to one of the toughest spots for Christians in America. Because democracy is our form of government. And it comes to us or it puts us in a difficult place when we want to correctly give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That's because we get to choose our leaders. And we have this clear realization that in the earthly kingdom, we are always choosing flawed human leaders. We're always choosing flawed political parties and flawed political ideologies. And as much as I, I, I just hate to use the phrase, when we're voting, it always leaves us choosing the lesser of two evils. And if you think you've got the perfect candidate, or the perfect party platform, or the one single issue that makes it easy for you, I think I have to tell you, you probably haven't done all your homework. And oftentimes, the way politics are set up and so imperfect, it's tempting, especially here in America where politics are so polarized, to end up vilifying half of your neighbors because they're of a different political persuasion than you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And every now and then we get tempted to think, well, let's make it really simple and just vote for the most Christian candidate. Martin Luther famously said this, it is better to be governed by a wise Turk an unbeliever, than a dumb Christian. <laughs> Our job as Christian voters is never simple. Our job as Christian voters is to separate the two kingdoms and choose the candidate who has the best potential for advancing God's purposes for the government, for doing justice, for doing the greatest, wisest good for all citizens. The greatest candidate for allowing all people to live peaceful and quiet lives. But, at the same time, we better shine a light on what about evil in our government, or in any government. Because again, it's an imperfect thing. Remember what Pastor Ben told us last month. Scripture says the government is God's servant. But sometimes it is an evil servant. I mean, just think of it. Jesus was talking to the man who would order his crucifixion unjustly and said to him, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate's authority was God-given, but not what he did with it. 
or when a group of soldiers came to John the Baptist and asked him, what should we do to repent? He didn't tell them to stop being soldiers, but he told them, don't abuse your power and authority as soldiers. He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. There are bad governments in our world for the same reason that there is sickness, pain, disappointment, failure, to temper us, to turn us to our Savior, our perfect King, to his promises that are never campaign promises that fail. They're always true. So when the early Christians were persecuted by their government, they didn't lead a rebellion against their government as a, as a response. Instead, they turned to their Savior for the power and courage to survive. And as a result of demonstrating that power and that courage, many of their persecutors turned to the source of that courage and came to know the Savior. And finally, it's Fourth of July weekend. We've got to talk about patriotism. Love of country and American exceptionalism. Does God command patriotism? Does God command love of country? This is what Jesus said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Is it wrong to love your country? Of course not. But yes, it might be. If love for country stands before love for your neighbor, your fellow citizen, or your neighbor of all nations. This was a very, very deep problem for the Jewish Christians of the very first century. And the problem is recorded for us in great detail uh, in the book of Acts and in Paul's epistles. There were Jewish believers who confused their nationality with the true sign of God's favor, his, his love and forgiveness in Christ. And to overcome this sinful form of nationalism, God had to send a special vision and special message to the Apostle Peter. And he told Peter that he had to share the gospel. He, a Jewish man, had to share the gospel with a Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Peter explained what he learned. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But that nationalism ran so deep among the Jewish believers that they straight out questioned Peter. They said, you actually walked into a non-Jewish house and ate dinner with these people? And then they went so far as to say this. 
They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, that is, have the physical sign of belonging to God's people, you cannot be saved. And it took special message from God. It took meetings of the leaders of the early church, special letters to the congregations, confrontation after confrontation, and finally the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem to overcome this false nationalistic notion that stood in the way of the gospel. And I believe some of that is still alive in what's been termed American exceptionalism. This is the belief that America is superior to other nations and has a unique mission to transform the world. And that belief has been espoused by both of our major political parties for many, many, many years, perhaps almost two centuries. And that is a political opinion, not a spiritual one. We believe what the Lord declares about all nations and all peoples. When Paul wrote to a congregation that was mixed nationalities in the city of Rome, they were Romans, they were Jews, they were other nationalities, he wrote to them and said, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So, as much as we hate to say it, the Lord seems to be saying that America isn't exceptional. America is typical of all human beings and their need for the Lord. So a good warning here is don't let your love of your nation make you feel superior to other nations or nationalities, make you look down on other people who aren't American as you are. Jesus said, love the Lord the spiritual kingdom. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor, regardless of their nationality or lifestyle or political party, the earthly kingdom, there is no commandment greater than these. And that's finally how the two kingdoms, the one earthly, the one spiritual, come together perfectly. And that's how we celebrate today. Not with the unnecessary fireworks, but with the real light of God's love, God's gift to us in our country, and God's greatest gift to us as citizens of his kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast. Brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.